Well, you did not get to know College Jordan. Um, you're getting a better version now uh, than what I was at 18. Um, I'm not perfect, I'm not great, but it's better because I was really arrogant, extremely brash, um, and would, for the sake of a good joke, ruin relationships pretty quickly. Um, I'm trying to get better. Uh, there were lit- like legitimately people who just did not like me and did not mind saying it. Um, you can validate that with Carlin. She will tell you that. Um, a sister of my best friend, girlfriends of my roommates legitimately did not like me. And sometimes it was my own fault. Um, there was this one friend of ours named Justin. Justin... Um, would date a few different girls, and one time he brought this girl around, and I thought one of the funniest things you could say when you introduce to his new girlfriend is to call her by the previous girlfriend's name. It was funny, right? (laughs) She didn't think it was very funny. Um, She was one of the people in my list that does not like Jordan, and so that happened in the spring before Carlin and I got married, And so for revenge, she and Justin came to our wedding, and she committed the cardinal sin of attending a wedding as a girl and decided to wear white as her retribution. Uh, The gasp on this side, no, that means something. The boys over here are like, uh, I mean, was it after Labor Day? Like, I think that's a rule. So she uh, decided that would be the way to get me back. And you're not going to believe this. But today's lesson in Matthew 22 is a very, very similar story. Uh, You're not going to have to wonder, why did Jordan tell that story? Uh, What was going on here? No, in Matthew 22, Jesus tells of a wedding feast. And talks about people that didn't want to be there, who were upset with the host, who didn't want to be a part of the wedding. And then he gets to a person wearing the wrong clothes. And how important it is to being wearing, being dressed properly for the occasion. So, Matthew 22 is where we're going to teach from today. Let me tell you what's happened in Matthew thus far. Jesus has been born. He talks about the lineage. He does all these miracles. He calls his disciples. He teaches the Sermon on the Mount. All of this, Matthew 21 is the triumphal entry. That means Jesus has been telling his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to die there. And they're like, I don't know if we really want to go there. No, no, no. This is where we're going. Matthew 21, he shows up in a parade, and impromptu parade breaks out. They are celebrating this Jesus using messianic language, right? This guy from Galilee is now being connected to the son of David, the one who is going to push back the Romans, the one who is going to change everything, the one that's been promised for all generations. This is who they are seeing Jesus as. But it changes very quickly. He shows up into Jerusalem. He goes straight to the temple, and he sees the cesspool that has become. When he shows up in the temple and he sees how people are manipulating holy practices to make an unholy buck, he begins to turn over tables. He begins to whip people out of the room, and he is running the robbers out of what should be the house of prayer. Jesus then, after doing that, kind of making a scene, now plots are against him. People are ready to kill him, and this week is his final week pre-resurrection. He tells three stories. 
One of us, a guy with two sons, not the prodigal son, but a guy with two sons. His first son says, oh, yes, I'll follow whatever you say, Dad, and then doesn't. The other son says, no, I'm not going to follow you, but does. And Jesus says, who is the father more satisfied with? The second is a parable of a landowner who has tenants. And these tenants, when he sends to go gather the fruit because it's harvest season, they kill his servant and then they kill his son. He's not real happy with those tenants. But the culmination of these triad of parables happens in Matthew 22, 1 through 14. That's what we're going to be reading today. I'm going to break it in half. So we're going to read 1 through 7. Then we'll read the final half um, so that it helps us understand what's going on. Matthew 22, 1 through 7 says this. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again, he sent other servants, saying, tell those who are invited that I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry. He sent troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Okay. That's what we're starting with today. Now, some of you have heard similar stories to this, haven't you? You, you have heard a, a story of a great banquet where God is throwing a party. And then all these people make excuses why they don't want to come. And so God sends his servants out to the highways and to the byways to bring in the least, the last, the lost. And they come and he says, oh, wait, there's still room. And they go get even more people and they celebrate this situation. But that's not what's happening here. Matthew's version is a more full account. Matthew's version also has some sticky points in it. So Jesus is setting up God is king. Okay? God is throwing a party for his son. We can connect that to Jesus. This is a massive occasion. Verse 4. I have killed the fattened calf. I have killed the oxen. I have prepared everything. A king is doing the labor so that he can set this up. I don't know if you understand this, but weddings are kind of a big deal. Like people get stressed about them for some reason. To me, it's a party that you hire five professionals to come and take care of. All right? It's just a matter of writing a check, not stressing. Don't tell your fiancé that, okay? Or really, don't tell her, your mother-in-law that. Um, that doesn't go over well. Uh, so these people, it's a stressful event. So much so that you send out two invitations typically. You send a save the date saying, hey, this is really important. We really want you there, so go ahead and put this on your calendar. We want you to come. And then you send out another invitation about five, six weeks out, I think. And it says, here's the time, here's the location, here is what you should wear, here is where we're registered so you can buy us gifts, here is all the information you need to know. We send out two invitations because it's so important. The king in this story sends out two invitations. That's how the culture would work. One is kind of that save a day. Hey, you're invited to this party. And then the second, I think of it as a dinner bell invitation. Dinner's ready, come and eat. They couldn't set their watches. They didn't have Siri reminding them or Alexa saying, hey, you need to drive now. It's time to go. No, it is a, hey, dinner is ready. The plates are being set. Come and enjoy. But what happens? <coughs> the king is doing this great honor by inviting these people. 
It's kind of an invite slash command because it comes from the king. You kind of say yes when the king says it. No matter how you feel about the president or the new president or the last president or whatever president, if you get an invitation for the president, you typically show up. When the king sends out an invitation to his wedding, his son's wedding, you show up. But the great honor was responded to with a great insult. Verse 3. The guest would not come. It's not that they can't come. They choose not to. They don't want to be with the king. This is more than just, oh, I have different Friday night plans. This is... I am denying my allegiance to you. I am disrespecting you. I uh, am disgusted by you. I am not willing to follow your ruling authority. This is the best way I can say I don't know if this is appropriate from the stage. A middle finger moment to the king. Okay? As much as they can, they are just saying no way to you. They don't give a reason at this point. Did they disapprove of the king and how he ruled? Did they, were they disgusted by his son? Were they, um, did they dislike him? We don't know. But what we do know is that there is mercy unheard of. Where the king, verse 4, again sends out servants. And he's saying, hey, go back to them and ask them one more time. Please come and be a part of this. Please come and join in. Please come and experience all that I have for you. I have prepared a feast unimaginable. And yet, they are apathetic or hostile. Some completely ignore, more concerned with the mundane things of their life. Luke will tell us that one just got married, one just bought some uh, oxen, and one has a field he needs to survey. All things that could wait, or people you could bring with you. And yet, others also become aggressive, hostile. They become abusive, and they even murder. Either way, the king is, um, to put it mildly, pretty upset with them, uh, and is not okay with this response by his invited guest. So, part one, let's just kind of put it all together. Part one, Jesus is kind of teaching us a story of how the prophets and even him has been sent to the chosen people, right? To the Jews and saying, hey, come and be a part of this party. Come and experience all I have for you. You are invited. You are my first choice. I want you to see and to taste and to be with me. But how do they treat the prophets? They ignore. They abuse. How do they treat Jesus? If only they just ignored him and murdered And yet we have this full of mercy inviting them. And yet they're saying, no, I'm pledging my allegiance to something else. I'm giving rule of my life to someone else. I will not follow you. I think if you experience a little conviction in our day, I think if we go back to what we talked about at retreat, that idea of ungodliness. How often in our daily life do we either disregard or not depend on God for anything? How much of our life really uh, works well with that song, Lord, I need you? Or how much of our life says, Lord, I needed you? And I'll figure out this class. I'll figure out who to date. I'll figure out what job to get. I'll figure out how to spend my life. 
Part one is really Jesus in Jerusalem to the Jews. Part two steps on our toes pretty hard. Let's, I mean, yeah, verse eight. Then he said to his servants. The wedding feast is ready, but the invited were not worthy. Mm. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. And we're going to pause there. So this is similar to Luke's rendition of the story. He says, the people, the Jews, the ones that I invited, the chosen people, the ones that I was focused on have uh, disregarded me. They have turned a blind eye to me. They don't want me anymore. So what we're going to do is we are going to bring in all of these other people. Paul will talk about this. Ephesians chapter 3 is the mystery of the gospel that Jesus has, when he died, he died to bring in the Jew and the Gentile. And so what is happening here is the king is sending out to the busy intersections, to the highways, to the outside road. And he is saying, bring in the least, the last, the lost. Bring in the stepped over and the overlooked. Bring in the Gentile and the Samaritan, the tax collector and the sinner. Bring in everybody. Why? Because the kingdom of God is a kingdom for every tribe, tongue, and nation. The kingdom of God is a kingdom for every color, every class, every creed. The kingdom of God is for every person. Beyond the ethnic walls of Judaism to anyone who will celebrate and will put their faith in attending the party that God has established. This kingdom is no longer exclusive. But it is for all people. And honestly, a good understanding of the Old Testament realizes that it's always been for all people. I was reading this last week or two in Exodus. And do you know who leaves when uh, the Israelite people leave Egypt? It's a mixed multitude. It is a people of all types and creeds and colors leaving. So these are the high points, but verse the last four verses are pretty low. I'm going to be honest with you. I read these verses in uh, my devotional time back in August, and it really caused me to question the character of God. It really uh, was difficult for me to uh, swallow when I read what happens in the next four verses. And here's what I'm going to warn you, because I didn't realize that in the moment. My cultural ignorance should not cause me to miss the intent of what God is showing us here. Okay? My cultural ignorance does not disqualify the character of God. It was me that did not understand this. So let me read this and we'll unpack it. 22, 11. But when the king came in, he looked at the guests. He saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. He said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? The guy was speechless. The king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. Into that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, here's how I read that in my personal time. God throws a party. The invited guests don't want to come. So he brings in all these poor people from all over the city. They come in. They're celebrating. He walks in. He sees a poor man in his homeless clothes. And he says, what the heck are you doing here? Get out of here. Not only does he say, get out of here. He says, no, no, no. Go and grab him. Bind him by arm and leg. Pull him out and throw him into a place that only sounds like hell. Okay, God. Um. We're going to need to get a little more clarification here. What's going on here? 
So as I studied into this passage, because it was one of those that you couldn't just like put away and go, well, that was interesting. I began to understand that when Jesus is telling this story, first of all, he is not putting this on that this man could not have the proper clothes. He makes it sound as if this is his choice. Understanding cultural practices, more than likely, when you would enter, no matter what guest you were, no matter if you were the invited or the uh, straggle along between at the end, no matter what, you would have been given, most likely, a wedding garment, a white cloth to put on as you entered in. Okay? One commentator even goes as far to teach us that if you think about it now, everybody in the party matches. What does that mean? Your past and your present are covered by the wedding garment. Your social status and economic status covered by the wedding garment. We all look the same. We all have the same identity. We all are on the same standing. And what is that? We are guests of the king. Nobody is more fancy or better dressed. Nobody is showing off that they're higher or less than. We're all guests. The rich man trades in his fancy suit for the wedding garment. The homeless man changes out of his tattered clothes for the wedding garment. All are equal. All are guests. So who is this man not wearing the proper clothing? It's the man who was offered but denied the grace of the gift. It's a man who is offered what everyone else gets but believes that what he is wearing, what he has brought to the wedding is good enough or better than what he was offered. Who is this man? He is a man making a profound statement, denying the king, willing or not willing to follow his orders, not willing to accept his gift, not willing to respect his authority. This man wants the perks of the parties, but is unwilling to put on the wardrobe. He wants in, but on his own terms. So let's drop this story down into our life. God, a king, throws a party for his son. If you understand Revelation some, there's this marriage supper of the Lamb that's a culmination celebration of all that God has done, bringing in all tribes, tongues, and nations, worshiping together and celebrating a feast. That is what this kingdom of God is being connected to. So who are the people that denied their invite? Who are the chosen people? Who are the first to ask? It's the Jews, right? The chosen people of God who, when they see the truth of what God is doing, prefer their own systems. They prefer their mundane life beyond what he is offering. So they leave. Some of them even are violent towards what God is doing. John the Baptist, Jesus killed. Then you have these invited guests. They are called from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation to be in attendance of the king. These ideas of their garments that are put on them. This is the righteousness of Christ that we are clothed in. Okay, We sing of this, right? In his righteousness alone, this is what we are wearing. This is the only thing that gives us validity to be in the party. This is the only thing that keeps us in the party. Is the garments that we are given. So who is this man that denies the garments? The self-righteous sinner. 
who believes that what he is wearing is enough. He prefers to stand on what he has rather than what the king is offering. His clothes are cleaner than most. His clothes are better than most. He's good enough. Rather than accepting the gift, he denies it. Rather than putting on the righteousness of Christ, he says, No, God, judge me on my righteousness. Judge me on my own validity to be here. (laughs) What arrogance. What ignorance. And yet, how often do I put myself in the same position? A few months back, I talked about a Christless Christianity. Lord, I needed you. I appreciate it, but I got it from here. Yes, I need you to clean that stupid choice at 15. Yes, I need you to wash away those sinful acts there. But now that I'm clean, now that I'm good, now that I'm holy, I don't need you anymore. Students, are you okay with the identity guest of the king? Are you okay just being guest? Because some of us want to be host. Some of us want to be the party planner. Some of us want the um, very important guest of the king. Some of us want the better seed or the adorned robe. Some of us want a little more than what everybody else gets. Can you accept the invitation and not try to enter on your own merit Not try to put God into your terms and conditions. Are you so arrogant to believe that God will accept you on your own good works? Are you so ignorant to believe God will accept you? If you ever peruse Instagram like Maddie Parker. um, Had to, sorry. You'll notice there's this cool thing that you do. And you have like these really tight worded uh, bios, right? Like... Father of one, husband of one, follower of one, right? Like, that way you see I'm a Christian, I'm a dad, I'm a husband, right? Like, maybe you probably should put them in a different order. Father of one, husband of one, you know. There's, and maybe you're one of those people. All right, we're going to have a moment of vulnerability. Is your Instagram bio, like, really tight and cool and kind of cheesy like that? Yes. Come on. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Colton. Okay. But, but you see that, right? Like we, we want to I, – I really hear this phrase in my head this weekend, guest of the king. Not on me, not on my good enough, not because I deserve it, not because I earned it, not because I would be invited without him, not because of anything that I've done. I am simply the guest of the king. Desired, loved, clothed, given validity because of the king, not because of me. So I have to ask you, are you okay being guest of the king? Yeah, it's probably going to make you lose your identity. The clothes you've worked to earn, the righteousness you've worked to deserve, the, the goodness that you've tried to show off. Are you okay losing all that and matching all of us only clothed in Christ's righteousness and not in my own? 
Are you okay standing only on what Christ has done and having nothing to do with how good Jordan is or Nate is or Brady is or Ami is? Are you okay saying, no, I can lay aside who I am? Yes, I've lived as good as I can, but it's not enough. I'll put on your clothes. I'll pledge my allegiance. Some of you will get mad at me if I don't handle that final eight words. The king, you know, he binds the guy, throws him out into what seems like hell. And then Jesus says, for many are called, but few are chosen. Today is not the day that we are going to handle the balance of how divine sovereignty and human responsibility play themselves out. But if you heard, there's a divine, I mean, there's a balance. Okay? Does God choose? Absolutely. Do we have responsibility? Absolutely. Could we do it without him? Absolutely not. But does he call us to do it? Yes. There is a balance of divine sovereignty, human responsibility, that here is what we say, the few that are chosen say, by the grace of God I am saved. And I live it out in faith of him. And when we do, we get to experience all that he desires for us. Let's end with this. Martin Luther, the German pastor, not Alabama pastor. He's Martin Luther King. Um, Some of you didn't understand that. Carlin got it the second time, I think. Uh, so, no, I'm just kidding. Love you. Martin Luther says it this way in his uh, writing The Freedom of the Christian. He takes on the wedding analogy. And he doesn't talk about garments. Instead, he talks about a marriage. And he says this, that Christ, in his the rich and divine... Divine bridegroom Christ marries this poor, wicked harlot, you and I, redeems her from all of her evil and adorns her with all of his goodness. And here's a funny thing about marriage. When you marry marry someone, all that they have is yours. And all that you have is theirs. So when you marry someone with $50,000 in student debt... You now have $50,000 in student debt. When you marry someone with $100,000 in the bank, you now have $100,000 in the bank. That's how it works. See, Christ got the raw end of this deal. He chooses out of love to marry the poor, wicked harlot. What does he get? He gets all of my sin, all of my wrongdoing, all of my uh, failing to follow God. And you know what? He experiences that on the cross. Why? So that he can give me all of his righteousness, all of his goodness. And so now in my sin, here's what I say. All of his is mine and all of mine is his. He has taken it on for me. The girl showed up to our wedding wearing white. As an act of retribution. How many of us. Like the story that Jesus tells. Disregard the call of God. Are aggressive towards it. How many of us say. Oh no I'll enjoy the perks. But I'm going to wear my own party clothes. How many of us. Have abandoned what he is calling us to do. Because we desire to be in control. Love it.